Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. We have a guest again, don't we? We do. Uh, we are joined once again by Dragon. Uh, uh, we were talking last episode about psychological safety, and um, uh, we, we were very excited to come have follow up here about uh, what's the impact of uh, of batch size uh, in in learning and building psychological safety. So, batch size as a uh, intervention point in a system. Um, and I and I think there's two elements here. We last episode, uh, Dragon, you talked about the difference between a, a monitoring point and a uh, a intervention point. Um, and we'd like to hear more about uh, batch size and how that plays in. What's the what's you know, I'm curious about all kinds of questions here. You know, what's the monitoring point that uh, corresponds to batch size, and uh, um, what in, what are the uh, the places of, of impact when you uh, adjust batch size? Sure. Yeah. Um, so we we talked about. Uh, I mean, there are so many things related to to the batch sizes, and you know, uh, lean folks have have done a lot of tremendous work when it comes to that. But I noticed this um, interesting relation when it comes to um, uh, size of the batches and psychological safety, and in the teams and and organizations that have um, had lack of psychological safety, I also noticed that they tend to be incentivized for bigger batches. Because it's diff- difficult to, you know, uh, endure this continuous work together, and um, some people are thinking that they're being monitored or observed, right? So we try to get all the things perfect as um, as much as possible before trying to get the feedback. And there's this other side also of it. If we reduce the size of the batch, then we tend to get um, more chances for building psychological safety through building acceptance and trust in the team. Um, and when I talk about that, I have in mind this idea of, um, you know, if it hurts, do it more often, and uh, which um, Squirrel also mentioned uh, last time. But the idea, for example, in mob programming is trying to um, trying to uh, drive down the cycle the cycle of of pairing and or, or, and mobbing in a sense of how long does it take us before we switch to roles, right? So um, if we try to... Wait a minute, I just learned about pairing. I'm confused. You're saying that I'm supposed to switch roles? How how does that work? Exactly, yeah. So um, every pairing and mobbing session involves uh, different roles. And uh, one typical way of doing it is drivers and navigators, uh, driver and navigators. And uh, after some time, we tend to switch, or we we get to switch the roles, right? So it can be 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, or whatever. Um, and it, it makes sure that, that you know, we rotate, rotate all the roles through, throughout the team. And I think it's kind of important when it comes to building the psychological safety to start in the teams that are just starting with, with mobbing to try to reduce this, this cadence, this cycle um, as low as possible because, you know, it, it's not that one person gets under the pressure of being observed or watched, you know, whatever uh, way people tend to interpret this when they start working in, in this um, in this way through co-creation. So uh, reducing the, the, the cadence tends to help out with that because we tend to rotate faster and we get to expose ourselves um, sooner, so to say, to, to others, right? And then we start building on this trust even more and more as we go. Um, so that's one of the one of the one of the interesting examples of, of reducing the batch size that can it helps with the with the psychological safety. 
And the other I've seen frequently is, um, I, I've heard it called promiscuous pairing, and this is where you, you pair with many different people so that you get an opportunity to interact with many other folks. So that would be another small batch size. I think you might say we should do that frequently, or do you see it differently? Yes. So if you, if you think about pair programming and mob programming, and you have uh, promiscuous pairing as one of the ways of doing uh, pair programming, so you get to switch the pairs uh, after some amount of time, if you accelerate this to 11, so to say, then you get to mobbing, right? If you accelerate the promiscuous padding, padding to, to the max, so to say, then you get into uh, the state of mob programming um, because we get to switch the roles, um, switch the, the pairs uh, frequently, more frequently, more frequently until we get to a point that actually we are uh, working all together. Um, so yes, that's, uh, that's kind of one of the patterns. It occurs to me that we're um, using the, the, the phrase here, batch size, and we might be using it in, in different ways to refer to, to different things. Can you give me some examples of batch size in a, in, in a software team? What are things that fall into batch size? I think we've talked about at least here, you know, now uh, um, a pairing, promiscuous pairing session is one, one type of batch size. And we also talked a little bit about releases which these seem like very different concepts. How can we tie them together with, with batch size? Yes. So if you think about the, the, the typical way of working or um, in a, in a team that, that tends to be a bit more siloed and you have different roles, if, let's say we have, you know, designers and developers and testers. Um, so the idea of batch size is actually this amount of work that is transferred from one stage to the other. So the size of the work that is transferred, um, it can be you know from designer to developer and developer from to to QA etc. And it's way more this this batch size is way more visible when it comes to the to the async way of working and this very traditional roles separation so to say um, this very heavy specialization in the teams. Um, but as you get to work together more, then these things tend to be very way more vague and and and, and um, harder to to see, right? Um, to give you an example, right? If you do um, pull requests, uh, which is like ninety five percent of the industry is is currently doing that, then you have the development time, and then you have a review time, right? So someone is someone is author of the pull request, and someone is reviewing this pull request. So this is the amount of of work that is transferred from development to a review is the size of the batch. But if you try to squeeze this um, time that you have between the develop between development and the review and you continue reducing the size of the pull request, then at one point you get to a place where you have a pull request of one line of code that is reviewed as it's being typed. So you reduce the latency between the author and the reviewers, and that also helped you to reduce the size of the batch. And effectively, you're actually getting into a co-creation into PMO program because then the things actually uh, have became um, uh, continuous. I never thought of that. So it's almost like a limiting process, like in calculus. You're you're taking a process that's uh, discrete and happening infrequently, and you uh, do it more and more and more frequently. And in, in the limit, you wind up with pairing, mobbing, the uh, uh, co-creation. Did I hear that right? Yep, exactly. And and from a systems point of view, and from a sort of lean theory or a theory of constraints or whichever um, um, theory you want to come at it. 
like what's good about small batch size? Like what do we what, what do we get from it that's good? Because I think for all of us, we start a priori in this conversation knowing that small batch sizes are good. Uh, it's worth I think um, going back to that. Why are why are small batches good again? It, we we can see that we end up with co-creation. So when, one way to look at this is that co-creation patterns are good because we end up with small batch sizes. What what are the benefits we're getting from those small batch sizes? Yes. So there are so many benefits when it comes to that. Um, one of the ways to think about it when it comes to the agile movement itself, and which I interpret as getting to a value for users sooner, right? Um, that means that if we try to, to think about uh, being able to course correct sooner, that also includes reducing the size of the batch. So what this means is, you know, if instead of me, uh, of us sending, you know, um, 10 feature request, 10 features to a customer in one release if you reduce this to one um, feature uh, we are going to get the feedback about it sooner which is going to help us course correct if needed and we are working in a, a complex adaptive system so exploring the unknown space is kind of default right so trying to build in the mechanisms that help us to navigate to kind of um, to find this value sooner means that in building in the mechanisms that help us to get the feedback sooner, right? So if we want to do that, then we need to reduce the amount of work that we have in the system um, sending to, to the end customer. So it involves lots of the steps in between, right? And, and it means all, all, all the way starting from the business until we, uh, until the end of the, uh, I'm going to throw in a new word, value stream, which means also delivering the, the customer, right? But uh, trying to reduce the amount of, of, of the work that we are working on at the same time in order to get this um, this piece of, of work to customers so we are able to, to uh, figure out sooner if we are on the wrong path. Um, there are lots of other things when it comes to uh, small batches and you know going into the lean theory and the throughput tends to go up because of that. Um, so um, that's another thing. And if you if you want to dive deeper into this topic, uh, Don Reinerstern's uh, book Principles of Product Development Flow uh, get uh, very extensive uh, on this topic and, and uh, deep dive into it. So that's one more recommendation to to check out. That book's absolutely wonderful, but uh, health warning um, is very dense. <laughs> so yes. be, be ready for a lot of theory uh, for listeners who want to dive into it. There'll be a link in the show notes. Fantastic. One one thing I liked in, in your description there and, and is capturing the kind of the um, different levels that this is happening. That batch size on the one hand is a batch that's coming out from the company at the business level to the customers. And then you also have the smaller batches in inside the system uh, as as work is being done, and then it, and it, you bring into the sort of different. We talked before about intervention points. We can, we could be having the smallest possible batch size uh, between us. We could be doing co-creation and uh, and have these very small batches between people within the team, and still have a very large batch that we're releasing out to clients. Yes. Uh, and then there's a, there, that these these are two different uh, ways of batch size. So if we come back to sort of what if we're monitoring uh, uh, what's happening. On the one hand, we could be looking at monitoring the release cadence of the of the team, um, and then within the team, we can be looking at you know as, as you talked about uh, maybe pull request size. What's the average uh, um, uh, time or size of, of pull requests? 
Is that do I have that right? Is places we might look to to see what's happening, understand our system. Yes. Um, so our end goal is definitely to try to have in the whole value stream uh, the the reduction of the batch size, right? Um, because batching, may, we might be doing small batches in one part of the value stream or the whole development flow. Let's call it that way. But if the at the end, you know, we release this in in a in a huge chunk then it causes also lots of the other problems uh, downstream. One of the problems uh, or one of the benefits of big batches is because the, the batch is small, you are also staying in the context, right? If something goes wrong in production with the customers, um, the, the context is very recent, right? So you're able to troubleshoot and course correct sooner. But if you batch up the work um, before releasing to the customer, something goes wrong, you know, you have to find a needle in a haystack. It kind of feels this way. And also the context has been lost because who knows when was this feature um, uh, has been worked on, or, I mean, developed. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's, that's kind of um, another another way, another um, thing to, to keep in mind, right? Uh, trying to have this in the in the whole value stream as much as possible. I think for 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 um, developers who've, who've uh, of a certain age who've lived through, uh, I think one of the largest changes that I've seen happen at scale in the industry has been the rise of um, continuous integration servers, at least if not continuous integration as a practice between people, but having automated you know uh, build feedback uh, is something that I've seen spread fairly ubiquitously in in something that didn't exist uh, for the most part in the in the 90s and it, it's the same idea of we're getting faster feedback w with smaller bits of code so rather than having what used to happen where you'd have six or nine months of developer work that then we're going through an integration phase in the 90s and the, the the batch size of people trying to figure out how to make their code work together was literally months and months of work to, to to today where if i if i commit my code i have the expectation i should be you know hearing back fairly soon <laughs> minimally there should be a nightly build process that will tell me and the difference in, in batch size between uh, uh 24 hours or or five minutes as opposed to uh months is a, is a, is a radical, is a radical difference. Exactly. And, and we were talking, um, also about the, the socio emotional, uh, parts of the socio emotional technical assistance. Right. And when you think about these old times, when you had, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are still companies doing this even now. Right. But if you release a software after a year, so to say, and then you have like hardening sprint or fixing bugs and stuff like that, I've seen companies opening champagne after and celebrating after being able to, you know, go through all of these phases and finally, you know, be able to release. And this, this kind of on the emotional level and, and, and this celebration, right, and this excitement also talks about the size of the patches that we have in the system, right? And this is a very valuable feedback to, 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 to have in mind when it comes to that. So in my, in my opinion, uh, the things should feel business as usual, um, ideally almost all of the time, right? If we have these spikes in, you know, the, the amount of excitement and, and opposite to that, you know, uh, it can also talk a lot about the, the size of the batches that we have in the system and, and delayed feedback loops. <laughs> I love this idea of the champagne consumption graph uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a monitoring point for your batch yeah. size. And but maybe I, we should just have champagne all the time. Well, yeah. actually, that's exactly what I was going to say. That really, um, I have, having moved to uh, daily demos, where people will daily be saying, "Here's what we've completed today," and and demoing out of production, 
uh, it actually, we, I, I have exactly that feeling, which is we have these, you know, it's, if we don't drink as much champagne, <laughs> but we have Maybe this just kind a of, thimble full, you know, just a little <laughs> shot glass of champagne, but you have a little bit every day. That's right. That sounds super. Well, I'm going to, I think we're, we're well on time. We could keep talking to Dragon about this forever, but uh, Dragon, we really appreciate having you on and talking to us about so many interesting topics, emotions, psychological safety, uh, batch sizes, and champagne. Uh, just wondering uh, if people want to get in touch with you, where's the best way to do that? Sure. I, I tend to uh, post on LinkedIn and, and uh, Twitter and also have my uh, blog with uh, micro blog posts, so to say. Yeah. Small batches. <laughs> Excellent. Sounds great. Maybe we'll watch you, watch you type let, letter by letter someday. We'll, we'll get to that stage. Uh, excellent. So, uh, Dragon, thanks for being with us. And, uh, of course, listeners who have questions or thoughts or disagreement are always welcome. You can find us, Jeffrey and me, at agileconversations.com. There's free videos, a mailing list, um, our blog, and our posts and thoughts on Twitter and elsewhere, uh, email, phone, you name it. You can get in touch with us. So we'd love to hear from you. And, of course, you'll also see us back here again next week. Thanks, Jeffrey and Trogdon. Thanks, Gronk. Thank you.